Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today you'll hear from Patricia. Patricia, like me, lost her mom to pancreatic cancer. She spent a lot of time with her mom during her cancer journey and was the first person the oncologist told when there were no more treatment options left. I really think you'll enjoy her story. Additionally, at the end of the podcast, we mention an upcoming Mother's Day event that we're hosting for Daughters Without Moms. Be on the lookout for more information to be shared soon. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to leave a rating and review. Hi, this is Beth. Welcome to another edition of the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today I have with me Patricia, and Patricia is another friend that I have met completely online. Um, I did an Instagram live video with her on her uh, profile last last Monday. I think it was last week. Um, I'm going to allow Patricia to introduce herself and she'll be able to tell you all the great things that she's doing um, on the grief journey and where we can find her as well at the end. But for now, I'm going to turn it over to Patricia and let her introduce herself and to share her story. Thank you, Beth, and thank you for having me. Yeah, as you said, we met online on Instagram. I feel very grateful that I met so many, you know, fellow motherless daughters, but also other grievers. I have to say that I turned to Instagram only not even a year ago. I think it was two months into the lockdown, so that was mid-May, because I, I felt that that need to interact with other people. It was a few months after my mom passed and it started feeling, you know, very lonely. So I'll tell, you know, a little bit more about my social media journey and how it helped me with grief. But I definitely want to share, you know, my mom's story. And this is what I do, you know, most of the day. It, you know, it really helps me with my grief and it helps me, you know, checking with myself, with my emotions and with where I am on that grief journey that unfortunately started 16 months ago on November 22nd, 2019. And it's crazy 16 months because I feel like it was yesterday. Like I still have vivid memories of the last weeks and the last days with my mom, but it feels like a million years ago. So many things happened in the past 16 months. It's just crazy. I, I still can't believe that four months into my grief, you know, we were in lockdown and it's been a year. And as you said, right now, like it's, it's spring, things are blooming, like flowers are blooming again, trees. And I still remember last spring where we were home and we could barely, you know, leave our, our apartments. And I used to go to the park all the time just to be able to feel that I was, you know, still alive where there was so much anxiety around me. So yeah, it's crazy. I I still cannot believe like it's been 16 months. I have to say that 22, 22nd is always a day that is sensitive for me. Uh, it used to be worse. Uh, the first year, I would really count. Like I would really count like one month, two months. Oh, today it's been seven months, eight months. It was really heavy. I have to admit that after a year, I stopped, you know, counting the month, although I still know it's been 16 months, but 22 for me, like when I schedule something on the 22nd, I'm like, okay, let's see how I'm going to be. You know, I might be having a hard day or I might be just 
you know, able to speak that day. But last year, every 22nd, I feel like I was living all over again my mom's last day. And I mean, it's it's getting, I'm not going to say easier, but yes, I'm not so deeply, you know, remembering every second of that day. And just to go back to my mom, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on January 12, 2018. It was a huge shock because her husband was sick at that time. He had cancer. And a month before my mom's diagnosis, he got a terminal diagnosis. His cancer had um, metastasis in, in his lungs. And they decided that they would not continue treatments. So from December 2017 until he passed in July, we, we knew he was, you know, we knew he was going to die. And it was a really hard reality to accept. But the shock of my mom's diagnosis just a month later was, I don't know, it destroyed us. It was really hard because... At that period, I was already, you know, wondering how my mom's life would be once she would become a widow. And knowing that now she had to deal with her disease, his disease, and a life of, you know, being a widow, which I thought would be for decades. I never thought she would only outlive him for a year and a half. It was a lot. I remember waking up that day with so many missed calls from my mom and my sisters. And because I live in New York and my mom in Brazil and my sisters in Switzerland, I was the one still sleeping because it was very early here in New York. And I think because they couldn't reach me, my oldest sister sent me a text. So as soon as I took my phone that morning, the first text that I saw on WhatsApp was, oh, mom just came back from the doctor and they found, a tumor on her pancreas. At that moment, I think my world stopped. You know, so we often talk about anticipatory grief. I think we were already grieving, you know, her husband and the life they would have together. As I said, I was worried about my mom becoming a widow. And that diagnosis, especially pancreatic cancer, I have to say, like, it's not the kind of cancer where you're like, Okay, I think there's a treatment. She'll be fine. I heard cases. Unfortunately, I never heard, you know, around us at least successful recovery from, from pancreatic cancer. So it was another, you know, terminal diagnosis. Although the next day, her oncologist called and with the surgeon and they were able to schedule a surgery for the following week. And they were very optimistic that with the surgery and a little bit of chemo, they would, you know, get rid of the tumor. But it, it was just a lot to to process at that moment. And I have to say that day, January 12, 2018, it's my father's birthday. So it's not a day that I could easily forget. But it's definitely a day that, you know, traumatized all of us. Because how can someone who was, you know, fine and looked healthy and had her checkup like a few months before, like was all of a sudden diagnosed with, with this disease. And I flew to Brazil, I think the next days or 
24, 48 hours later, my mom had surgery. It was indeed successful. My sisters came as well. And the oncologist said that she would just get some chemo for six months just to be sure that they would, you know, clean all the cells. And, you know, she got her remission news in July. But unfortunately, that was the same week that her husband passed. So a lot of ups and downs. I was there with her for his last days, for his last hours. And I think witnessing this prepared me for what was going to happen with my mom. And she didn't really have time to rejoice from that good news because she was grieving herself. And I mean, remission when you have pancreatic cancer is not, you know, as optimistic as you want to be because you know you still have to go for, for, for a scan every three months and it can grow again. And unfortunately it did. So she had, you know, just what, from July to, to October where she was trying to enjoy life, although she was grieving. But then in, in November, it came back. And we never thought that in one year, you know, she would be gone. We were still very, very, very hopeful for that whole year. With all the chemo treatments she went through, we thought, we thought she would make it. And I know that 2018, 2019, I was, I, I don't know, I feel like I was half in New York, half in Brazil, because there were always doctor's appointments and chemo treatments, good news, bad news. It was really like one step forward, two step backwards, sometimes 10 steps forward and then 20 backwards. I don't know. It was never linear. And unfortunately, in July, no, in June of that year, they said that she had metastasis in her liver. So that's started feeling like the beginning of the end but they were um they were still I'm not going to say optimistic but they still gave her the option of undergoing one less treatment and she took the chance she really 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 wanted to live and that summer I, I spent some time with her there while, while she was you know going to the hospital undergoing that less treatment but unfortunately she got very weak it I, I, I'm gonna say that it it transformed her that like that last treatment I'm not gonna say it killed her but it took her immunity to such a low level she was prone to infection and she got a double infection at the hospital so you know we'll never know if that treatment would have been successful or not because it's a whole and her body was just too weakened by, by that treatment. So was it the cancer that killed her? Was it the double infection? Was it the treatment? It's a whole. And I've just, you know, learned to, to live with the fact that we did everything we could. You know, I, I know we talk a lot about guilt with grief. And we, you know, we tend to like look back and think, what if, what if I, you know, we have, we had done that. What if, you know, we had seen another doctor and I obviously had those moments as well, but because I was so present for all her treatments and me and my husband used to talk to her doctor all the time because I speak Portuguese, my sisters, they don't. We took a second opinion in New York with an oncologist. I just tried to look back and think that we 
we really did everything we could and she fought until the end she never refused a treatment she never gave up on one chemo even though it was hard and the chances were so low and she still took the chance so it was hard to witness those this decline the three last months she went to the hospital twice twice i mean once for a month and then back home for a month and then back to the hospital for the last three weeks and you know it's it's cancer and it's pancreatic cancer you you, you want to be hopeful you want to be that case that survived and was able to go cancer free for another 10 years but the odds are very low and on top of my sadness on top of my pain on top of the longing i didn't want to feed that guilt so i remember getting i got the terminal diagnosis of my mom it was october 31st my mom had been back to the hospital since the 28th. So I flew directly to Brazil overnight. I was with her and she was, I mean, I had been with her two weeks before. For me, she looked the same, you know, obviously we didn't know what was going on inside, but she didn't look so, so bad. You like, you, you, I never thought like she would die three weeks later, but we got, so I got the news one day my 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 mom was sleeping in her room I was in the room I was sleeping in the hospital with her so I was in the room basically day and night I was mostly in my PJs because I couldn't even bother to change and her oncologist came and I told him she's sleeping do you want to come back and he said no I actually came to see you can we talk outside and that just like a movie I felt like I was in an episode of Grey's Anatomy I was like OMG, like I'm being asked to step outside because the doctor wanted to talk to me and everything happened so fast. And as I said, I was in my PJ, I was bare fit. I stepped outside and he just looked at me and he's like, I think you should call your sisters because my sisters, they live in Switzerland. Um, I don't know how many days she has left, but all her blood tests and all the tests, they were, they were they were getting in the past three days came back really you know <laughs> I mean there's nothing it's he said there's nothing left we can do and I think you should call your sister and I don't know what at the moment you feel like the sky is falling actually you don't even know if there's like earth supporting you you feel like everything's falling apart I can still see that that hospital hallway and me and my pj barefoot like really just like in a movie like getting that that news and i have to say this year a year later on october 31st i had a horrible day i think i really have ptsd from that day more than from the day my mom passed because as i said even though you know she had pancreatic cancer she had metastasis we were so confident and hopeful that day that's it like he shattered any hope we had left within us and yeah I had to go back to that room it really happened in two minutes like they announced you that your mother is dying in like less than two minutes and then they need to go and see other patients and I really like my mom's oncologist I'm not saying he's not compassionate but for day it's their day-to-day -day job like they treat you know cancer patients and then someday they have good news that the treatment is working and 
some days they have to announce to the family. And I was just thinking like, how can you announce it to me like this? You know, that's so hard. And I froze. Like after, you know, my whole world exploded, I froze and I had to go down to go back to the room and picked up my phone to call my sister. But I was really hoping my mom was still sleeping and she was. So I tried to be silent, took the phone, went outside and called my sister. And it's really, really hard because I knew that my mom could wake up at any minute. I didn't want her to see me crying or anything because I asked the doctor I'm like please I want you to announce it to my mom like I cannot do it like I cannot go inside and face her and tell her everything that's going to happen he said don't worry it's my job it's part of my job like I have to talk to my patient it's my duty and I will also bring the hospital psychiatrist I think they have you know someone on call that are here for you know the family or for the patients when they do have to make those announcements so for 24 hours because was going to come back the next day I had to just fake it that everything was fine and my mom was still waiting for her test results and I was like yeah maybe tomorrow maybe he'll pass tomorrow maybe he comes. so I I had I had to to hide it from her because I didn't have the courage to tell her bluntly that all she did in those two years, you know, actually didn't work. And I remember calling my sisters and I had to be very straightforward myself because I couldn't let myself feel all those emotions. I couldn't cry, especially because when I cry, like my, my face is red, my skin is red, my eyes, like I cannot hide that I cry for like at least like a few hours. So I had to make those calls. I first for my husband and then my sis, my oldest sister, then my middle sister, or, or I don't know, no, maybe my middle sister, and my, I don't know, but I just remember making those phone calls and saying, I just spoke to the doctor. There's nothing else they can do. They got the results. It has spread in the lungs. She don't, they don't know how many days she has. And everybody like screaming on the phone and crying. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I, I can't. I just can't, I cannot speak. I cannot cry. I cannot go back inside like this. And I was like almost hanging up on everyone. And then my mom had friends that afternoon that came visit her and they were all like, oh, when you go, when you go out, we'll go for lunch, you know, we'll, we'll visit you at your house. And it's really powerful, the control we can have on our minds to like control some emotions. Because I had to go through this for 24 hours of, of kind of faking it, you know. And the next day when the doctor came back, I think my mom understood because he came back with the psychiatrist. And although she had see, she had uh, she had a session with him before, because it's hard to be in the hospital. Like you need some, you know, mental support. So I remember her uh, talking to him a few times, but I think that. The fact that she saw both, both of them coming at the same time, like she could, she could tell there was like a bad news. So I kind of like stepped out for a second, but the next minute, the, the, the doctor just came and he's like, your mom wants to be with her. And I was on the phone with my sister 
And I don't know, I just, I, I, I couldn't feel my legs. There was something, I was like, oh my God, that's the moment where I, we all need to face the truth and I need to face my mom and I need to tell her that I know. And very dramatic. Like I remember those two days very, very vividly. And just seeing the, the, the sadness on my mom's face, you know, it's like you're being defeated. And I think I wrote about this on my Instagram, like, those patients that die from cancer they're not losers like we always say oh they lost their battle to cancer they're defeated yes they're defeated but we have to remember them as warriors you know they 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 they, they fought so hard they went through so much so much like when i see all the different chemos my mom had to go through and like losing her hair and it's it, it's really it's really not fair. You know, you have that like, not fair moment. Like, it's not fair. She really fought hard and did her best. But yet, yeah, the cancer is just too aggressive. And I remember her looking at me, and I will never forget, you know, the expression on her face. And she said, I'll not, I won't be here for your kids' bar mitzvahs. And she really wanted to see my kids growing, growing up. And it killed me. So at that moment, I was finally, you know, able to cry and and we talked about it. And just a day or two later, I think my mom was still processing the news, but we were really able to have like nice, meaningful conversation. I think she needed that, you know, just that time to to process the, the news. And weeks, we only had three weeks. I mean, it seems like a lot. It was too little. It it wasn't a sudden death, but you know, when when they give you that diagnosis, but they don't tell you how many days or weeks she has left, you're very hopeful that it's gonna be months. And actually, we had three weeks. And I think because, as I said earlier, when I first came to to Sao Paulo to be with her when she was hospitalized, she seemed fine. But there's something about you know, not, I'm not going to say giving up, but when they tell you there's nothing left, I think you really stop fighting. I think there, there's like a mind-body connection that, that shuts down because what's the point? And I remember her having that conversation with the doctor. She's like, I really want to be present for my 70th birthday, which was November 17th. But after that, if you want to stop treating me, if you want to stop giving me antibiotics, I'm like, I'm done fighting after that. Like, I don't even want to, to do physiotherapy. Like where she was like, why am I still doing physiotherapy to try to walk? Like, I'm not going to walk anymore. It's so like anything made, like nothing made sense at the end, but she wanted to be present for, for her birthday. She had huge plans for that birthday for years. And unfortunately the best we were able to do was a small party in, in her hospital room. She had close friends and her sisters-in-law, brother-in-law, me, my sister, my kids were there, my husband, but it, you know, it was nothing like we had imagined before. She so wanted to travel and she wanted to be with all the family. And really two days after that birthday, she just, she, she, she fell in unconscious. She was sedated because, I think that was her goal. She wanted to celebrate one more birthday. She wanted to see people. And then she was like, what's the point? So I feel like we were lucky to have those weeks 
where she really tried to be present as much as she could. And she was extremely present that weekend, that birthday weekend. And her sister came and she was with us all the time. So we had good moments and good conversation. I, I will always be grateful for this. I, I can't believe how it, how, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, how it feels to, to go through the sudden, you know, sudden lo loss of a, a loved one because it was, it was important to have those moments. And maybe it helped me with that guilt because as I said earlier, I didn't want to go back. I know some of my brothers-in-law, maybe like my sister, they were like, yeah, but are we sure that the doctor were, were good enough? Like the, the treatment, this and that. And then I was like, we are not going to second guess everything she went through. I think she did her best. I think they did their best. And I cannot add that layer of emotions on top of everything I was going through in my anticipatory grief and in my grief. Because really, even if you grieve before, there's nothing that can prepare you to, to the after. And I remember going on you know, Amazon and Google and looking for grief books and article about mother loss. And actually there's nothing that can prepare you for the moment, right? It, it does help you a lot. And I have to say that the grief podcast and all the grief books, they were essential for me after my mom passed because I really needed those conversations. I needed to see that I wasn't alone in that process. So many other people went through it. We all grieve in a different way. And, and it really helped on that journey after. But before, you know, we tried to, I don't know, we tried to prepare ourselves to the worst. And actually, nothing can prepare you to the void. And that's what, you know, that's what I was saying at the right beginning of the podcast, like the void, like how do you deal with the emptiness? Because the first, let's say the first month, I mean, for us, the first week in, in Judaism, we have a week of prayers. You have a lot of visits. A lot of people come to see you. You have prayers twice a day. So you're not really alone on the first week. The first month, I will say, people still call you. You know, they check on you. Or when I came back to New York, you know, some friends send me flowers. Some friends send me food. So you still have, you know, people checking on you, friends checking on you. But after a month, you're very, very quickly forgotten. And not only you're forgotten, but all of a sudden you're, you're really realizing what happened because I was exhausted also from the last month of my mom. I was going back and forth between New York and Brazil. I was sleeping at the hospital all the time. And then after she passed, you know, there was like the week of prayers Then I had to organize all her apartment in a week. So when I came back to New York, I was like, okay, I need to be home. I need to be in my bed. I want to be in my living room and stay on the couch, just like in movies. I don't want to do anything. You know, I want to like stay home and cry. And you realize after you lose someone, it's exhausting. There's so many arrangements, so many things you have to deal with. And I needed that quiet. But once you're rested, kind of rested, and, and once you, you dealt with all the arrangements, you have to deal with the void. You have to deal with the emptiness and it doesn't come overnight or at least for me, it wasn't something that 
I felt the next day or the next week. Actually, I felt some relief at the beginning that she was not in hospital anymore. She wasn't suffering. You know, we didn't have to stay all day with her in the hospital, you know, witnessing the decline and the pain. But then when that feeling passes, you're like, wow, and what do I do now? She's not coming back. And this is where, when it hits you, and maybe it was, yeah, after a couple of weeks or maybe after a month. And also after a month, we did the unveiling of her headstone. So reality really hits you back at that moment. And I just decided to take a couple of months off from work after after I came back to New York. I'm an art guy. So January, February are usually very quiet months. So I, I didn't feel bad of like not, not going to work. But then COVID started. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, you feel forgotten. But once the pandemic started, that's it. Like it's on everyone's mind. Like we, we, we were all worried about getting enough toilet paper and, and hand sanitizer and masks and what's going to happen. And school is closing and people are working from home and Zoom everywhere. And two months into this, I feel extremely lonely. And I turned to online support grief group and first it was just a grief group on Facebook and then I started noticing that people were talking about it you know it was not as taboo as I thought it was and I realized that all those expectations that I had towards my friends and even my relatives that we needed to talk about it they needed to check on me I just said to myself you know what you're creating those expectations because the fact is they moved on, you know, I'm not moving on, I'm moving forward, but I'm not moving on. So if I'm going to feed those expectations, I'm just going to get angrier and angrier. And it's better to separate those things, like friends and relatives are friends and relatives, and they care about you, but they might not understand or share your grief. But there are whole you know a whole community and a whole group of people that actually can understand what you're going through even though they're going through something different you know because every every loss is so unique and and every grief is unique so I turned to to Facebook I turned to Instagram and what was supposed to be just casual conversation you know like private inbox and DM ended up turning into lives. And now I've recorded more more than 50 lives. I've shared so many stories of, you know, other grievers. And I recorded also many, many podcasts. I wrote a chronicles in a book about grief. So what's, you know, started as an escape for me because I needed to fill the void really turn into a therapy it was very therapeutic and very healing for me to be able to express my grief express my emotion share my story share my mom's story and listen to other people because you can always relate to to one event or one emotion just one thing that's happening in that griever's life that can resonate with you as well so all those conversations, they helped me. And I have to say that I was able to, to witness a difference after I allow myself to grieve. 
openly. And even now when people ask me, you know, what I do, I'm like, oh, I'm actually talk about grief. I know and it makes people very uncomfortable, but for me, it's, it, it is a necessity. I just need it. And it doesn't make me more depressed. It doesn't make me sadder. It just makes me more aware, actually, of, of, every, of life every day, like, I know that death is so much part of life. And I think once you realize this, you are more grateful. You give more value to life, to every moment, you know, you, you go through during the day. So no, talking about death doesn't make me sadder. It actually makes me more appreciative of everything I'm able to do in one day. And just the fact that I'm waking up in the morning. And I don't know if people know that, but we did pray before the podcast. I don't know if you've mentioned this to other guests, but I, I really, I feel connected because I talk so much about death to my own existence. And then that's why I, you know, I start the day with gratitude. I end the day with gratitude because I witnessed with my own mom that one day she was healthy and she went to the mall and everything was fine and the next day cancer diagnosis so how do you go from this to that in a split second and it happened and it happened all day every day so being aware you know that that death is so much part of life and you know just being more just being more grateful and aware of all our experiences yeah, I, I have gone through the same journey and um, I had people also that were concerned about that, you know, if I spent too much time in this, that it would be ex the, the exhaustion and all those emotions would continue. And I keep trying to think of a word to describe it. I keep coming up with grief advocate. Like it's important for us yeah. to be able to acknowledge and name and process the grief because if mm -hmm. you don't, you can't just numb the grief. If you numb yeah. the grief, you also numb the joy that eventually returns also. And you can mm -hmm. actually feel both at the same time sometimes, you know? I think we as humans think that things are linear, that you're either happy yeah. or sad or this or that, but you actually can experience both at the same time. So the word I've come up with so far is grief advocate. Like I, I see it as a, as a good thing. It's really yeah. hard, really, really hard, but very important. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the name I gave to my 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 clubhouse club is permission to grieve because for me it was essential to be able to give myself permission. And I always say I don't know what would have happened to me if I we didn't go through lockdown because you know in March I thought that I would go back to work. It was you know beginning of spring. New York is booming, and if I didn't have that time, that pause where I was home and I had nothing else to do except, you know, thinking about me, my grief, my life, my mom, I don't know how would have been my grief journey. Maybe I would have tried to numb it. Maybe I would have not spent so much time connecting to other people. Maybe that Instagram would have never happened before. And I'm very grateful for that pause that I was able to take. I know that especially in the United States, but even in Switzerland, like bereavement leave are very limited. They're just like a couple of days or like three, five days. So people don't really have that 
privilege of taking some days off and think about, you know, how you're going to deal with that loss. And I have to say that it was the silver lining for me to have that opportunity to stay home and not have to worry about going to work, facing people, talking to people, you know, engaging in small conversation, having professional and social engagements. And I always think about it, it's like, what would have happened if I had to go, you know, back to life, back to like regular normal life as we knew it in March? I probably would never, you know, I would not have started at Instagram. I would not have connected to so many people. Maybe I would have numbed that grief down. Maybe I would have experienced it in such a different way. But I like the way I'm experiencing it now. Like I, I, I could not have done it any other way. I think. Yeah, and you and I have that same connection over that 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 the word of permission because that's what I yeah. use the eight-week program that I wrote is called the permission yeah. program because it is it's 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 applicable on so many levels not mm -hmm. only is it a permission degree but it's also you're missing a lot of that permission from your mom you know a lot of times you look to your mom for you know permission to to do this or to do that um but yeah the permission to grieve and the permission to live again too mm -hmm. like you said earlier you know you know you you don't um you don't get over grief but you learn no. how to with it and grow with it um and that's why you know giving ourselves permission allows us to do that um speaking of permission i did ask before we started recording if i could ask you about this just because we were supposed to record this podcast last week and you had yeah. a rough couple of days which which happens with grief and so you yeah. did permission to ask you about that to just you know share a little bit about that because i think we all go through it but sometimes you know maybe we don't talk about it as much to realize that it's a normal part yeah. of it. So yeah, so last week I just gave myself permission to take a little time off because I, I woke up on Wednesday feeling that heaviness on my chest, you know, that, that kind of like mix of sadness with anxiety, but not really knowing why. Of course, I, I still think about my mom every day when I wake up, but I don't wake up every day like this. So sometimes you're triggered, sometimes it's just a sensation that you have. But I woke up like this on Wednesday and I immediately understood that that day was going to be on automatic pilot. And I happened to do everything I had to do on my to-do list, but I did forget my son in school because I just forgot to tell my husband to pick him up. So like an hour later, he called us saying like, I'm still waiting. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot to, you know, I forgot to tell my husband. And I was just upset that day. And I ended up taking a nap that was supposed to be 30 minutes. Because I said, okay, I do deserve that little nap. I'm, I don't know. I just cannot think anymore. And I ended up sleeping three hours. I missed my clubhouse. I, I had other cold that I missed. I don't know why my husband and my kids, I, I think they just felt that I needed that rest and it didn't wake me up and the next day I remember we were supposed to record the podcast we're recording now and I texted you and I told you I just I'm not able to talk today I just want to give myself permission like once again I want to give myself permission to not 
you know, to not talk about grief today, to not engage in conversation, I need, you know, sometimes for myself. And I did post about it in my stories because I want people to understand that even after a month, a year, a few years, which is not my case because I'm only 16 months into my grief, you still get those days and you'll still wake up for any reason and feel that sadness it doesn't need to be a birthday or an anniversary or a certain milestone you you'll just have waves of grief and I personally think it's important for me when I have those to take a moment for myself because I get very overwhelmed and as I said I forgot my son in school on Wednesday first time it happened but it happened and it can be you know anything else you just put your brain on automatic pilot and it doesn't always go in the way you want to but you know you make it through the day but it's exhausting because you're not you're not letting yourself really feel those emotions you're trying to suppress them because you need to, to carry on so pausing at that moment is really you know what i need and and i know we cannot always pause like on the spot but taking maybe like the night off or like a little time for a nap or for a walk or for a meditation or anything it's very important because otherwise it really builds up and i think it did build up that day and the following day although you know i slept well and i think i was rested i texted you and other people with who i had called that day and i said i'm sorry i just cannot talk about it today i'm not so I gave myself permission to not find any excuses, not saying I have a headache or I'm feeling, no, I just say I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm not well today. I cannot, cannot do this. And that is being honest with yourself and with others. And I think it's important. And that's definitely, you know, you talked earlier about this process helping you to feel more connected to your own existence. I mean, there's, there's no better example of that than to be able to honor your grief and the need to be able yeah. to just be with yourself for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and there is something you 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 described it like a heaviness with like anxiety. Um, my birthday was last Tuesday and I had an awesome, awesome day. But Wednesday morning also, I woke up, I say I'm in a funk. I can't yeah. explain why. I'm sure yeah. it's related to grief. But, you know, a lot of times I can, if, if it's an anniversary or a day yeah. you know, that you can attribute. You know the reason. Right. And it was the day after my birthday. And like I said, I had a great birthday, but I think the day after I was like, oh, I miss my sister, yeah. you know, um, but just being able to recognize it, it can happen out of nowhere for no reason. Um, yeah. and giving yourself permission to feel it and to mm -hmm. be and to, to take some time off if you need to, you know, I think I would agree that this is part of the process about being connected to our own, you know, existence mm -hmm. that has been a, a benefit for myself as well, being able to take that time. Yeah. Yeah. So and I just always acknowledge that you're not feeling well because we tend to make excuses and I don't want to, I don't want to make any excuses anymore. I'm just going to say, no, I cannot do it. And, you know, I, I used to work in the art world. And someone emailed me, it was actually on, on Wednesday as well, Wednesday night, and they emailed me about um, organizing a conversation with the gallerist and maybe doing the Q&A for them. And I was very honest. I said, I have to say that I haven't been working in the art world for 16 months. 
And although I still have the knowledge and, you know, I could, I could easily go back to studying whatever the galleries would present, I'm not interested right now. And I was very honest. I told them about, you know, doing this grief coaching and, and going at least for now through another path. And I didn't want to make any excuse. I was very honest about not being where I was, you know, a year and a half ago. And, you know, I was like, okay, if that's it, and it's going to make them feel uncomfortable, but it's okay. Like people need to talk about it. So I'm just going to tell them this. And they replied very nicely. You were like, okay, we're really respecting that, you know, you're on your, on your own path right now and we wish you luck and it's you know it's nice to not to not have to hide from from your grief or from whatever you're going through mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. one of my favorite sayings is direct and with respect i would rather yeah. be honest up front and even yeah. though sometimes it is uncomfortable but it saves mm -hmm. you it's that it saves you time and emotion in the long run i do believe for sure yeah yeah and so, also like get um get yourself free from other people's judgment it's something like that was my last year epiphany like even before covid i was you know what i don't care anymore about what other people are gonna think i've been through something so hard they didn't walk a mile in my shoes like not even you know not even a mile i did not even like <laughs> one one feet but they cannot understand so if people want to judge that their problem but the fact is we don't know what uh, what another person is going through what another person is experiencing how they're you know living through a challenge and just not worrying about what they're gonna say because they haven't been where i've been through and it's been very liberating i have to admit yeah, isn't that great? It goes yeah. back to the whole thing you were talking about expectations. So not only yeah. did you change your expectations from other people, yeah. you changed your expectation of for yourself of, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of how you were going to present yourself based on other people's perceptions. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think you have to go through something really hard to realize this because you know that everyone's living a life that is not fully disclosed like you never know exactly what's going on right in someone's life what they're going through but you know when you go through loss it's not something that everyone can understand and even someone else who might have you know gone through a loss as well is not living that grief in the same way so liberating yourself from their judgment their opinion is very important because you're, you're, you're so unique and the way you're reacting to that, you know, to that loss, to that grief is very unique as well. So you don't need to fit in a mold or to be exactly how the other people or society expect you to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. One of my, another one of my favorite sayings is don't use a society's yardstick of success to measure your own success because we all have different ways that we, you know, value our lives and and measure the things that we that we do well and that have meaning mm -hmm. um yeah. so yeah i'm, I'm with you yeah. and that's why in coaching they always tell you like before you start coaching be sure that 
you're in agreement with your own you know pie of life you know like because if you're not fulfilled with what you're going to do and you're not in agreement it's how are you going to coach other people right mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah so I always try to ask people if you have some a piece of advice or something that you would want to share with other daughters without moms that are on the journey. We've, we've said that we know that it's not everybody's journey is different, but is there something, piece of advice or something that you've learned that you haven't talked about I would, yet? I, I, would, I don't know. I would really say like, listen to yourself if you need to pause and you know what, reach out. It might not be obvious, especially because you're going to maybe you have to reach out to someone who's not so close to you it's as i said like at, at the beginning i i got some attention from my friends but then you know everybody go back to their life so i ended up reaching out to people that i wasn't very close but i knew that had you know gone through a loss and i would ask them like how does it feel like is it normal and i ended up connecting with people with who i wasn't friend to start with and reaching out is important because it will feel lonely mm -hmm. and don't expect other people like seriously don't expect even your best friend even you know your relatives to check on you all the time so if you need that extra help if you need that extra support if you want to talk about it if you want some attention if you need any kind of help try to reach out because it's not as obvious for other people to know what to do. And this is something that I realized. I don't know if it was the same for you, but people don't always know what to do or what to say. Mm -hmm. Right, yep. And so tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram and all- so You can find me, yeah, on Instagram. The name of my account is Nishama Journey. So it's N-E-S-H-A-M-A -A, Journey. And on Clubhouse, I have a club called Permission to Grieve. And we have rooms every Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And you can, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. I have a link there in my bio where you can also listen to the previous podcast that I recorded. And also the IGTV where I have over 50 lives now. So yeah, definitely a lot of resources that, that people can check out. And I will put um, the name to, to Patricia's profile in the show notes if somebody's listening to this while they're walking or running or in the car or something like that. Okay. Don't worry about that. I will put that in the show notes so that people can come back and find it. Um, and I also just wanted to say, shout out that Patricia and I are working with two other Daughters Without Moms to put together an event that will be um, the day before Mother's Day, just to acknowledge mm -hmm. the fact that Mother's Day is a hard day for all of us Daughters so Definitely. working on that and looking forward to put some putting some details out about that soon. So Patricia, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your journey um, and for sharing your light and your energy uh, with the grief community. I really look forward to seeing where the journey continues to lead you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth, for having me. I really love our conversation. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to 
daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.